Hey, Phantomaniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Phantom Troublemaker, and I have found the final two Mad Balls, or at least of the standard foam size Mad Balls from Just Play. And since you're probably sick of hearing me talk about Mad Balls, I'm going to move on to other uh, horror-slash-gross-out-slash- weird genre related stuff because today's guest is none other than the son of celluloid himself nathan hamilton a local atlanta horror treasure and he's going to be talking a little bit about horror stuff uh we veer into rob zombie territory probably more than we had intended to but it's it's uh an upcoming episode we will focus more on that because it's a topic of great interest and controversy uh to me uh, but mainly, Nathan is here to talk about his programming for the Blue Track for the upcoming Days of the Dead convention in Atlanta at the Sheraton Hotel, which you can find out about at daysofthedead.org. Uh, it's a great convention. It's one that I was there for the very first one in Peachtree City. It's and It's one of the best times I have ever had that very first year. And then they moved it to the Sheraton in Atlanta, and I like the Sheraton, but I just, and this is just me talking, I don't enjoy it as much there, but it's only because that first year was so good. In in reality, it is far better in Atlanta. Uh, the guests have been great every year since. They've got great events lined up. Being in Atlanta and just partying with friends is awesome. It is a good convention that you know just cool stuff goes it's it's a horror convention it's not dragon con and nathan actually makes a very good point in saying that atlanta has been spoiled by dragon con and i know that that's true uh that my ability to appreciate smaller level cons has been well it's been altered a little bit i just have to appreciate what's going on at the smaller ones uh and and not compare them to dragon con which is absurdly huge and busy and, and you know, you know how it is. So Days of the Dead is a horror con. It's a very good one. They have a good dealer's room. Uh, they always have good guests. But Nathan's going to talk about that. Before we get to him, I'm going to talk a little bit about some horror stuff that I've been experiencing lately. And fortunately, this is all fictional horror, uh, pop culture stuff and not real life horror, which I, I don't need any more of ever thanks first i want to talk about the demo for resident evil 7 uh, on the playstation 4 i downloaded the demo didn't play it for a while because i just didn't have any time to play a, a gruesome adults only game and i finally sat down last night me and the missus sat down and i played the demo and that shit is scary you guys i'm not gonna lie i don't care what it sounds like that game was freaking me out and and barely anything even happened in the time that i played it uh spoiler i got the bad ending i won't tell you what it is and i need to play it through again obviously and see what else is in there but i got the bad ending and nothing really happened until the bad ending but it's so tense the graphics are incredible 
uh, but it, it's first person, and it's just this next gen, or I guess current gen now. Next gen is going to be VR or whatever. Which I'll tell you right now, I am not going to be able to handle friggin' VR Resident Evil. It's going to be too much. So, current gen survival horror is pretty intense. And uh, I was playing it upstairs where we don't even have surround sound set up at the at the moment, and it's just man it's creepy as fuck i i I just (laughs) i can't tell you i don't i don't want to spoil anything hence the stuttering and sputtering uh i'm trying to figure out how to describe it without giving anything away because i think any gamer should experience at the very least this demo which you download for free it's no big deal Uh, it takes a while though but it, it freaked me out it really did and i'm totally going to get the game because both of us want to play it but man sitting there at two o'clock in the morning with the lights out and controlling this first person character you know i'm walking all slow i'm like what's going to happen what's going to happen i'm going to look around the corner you're like trying to get that angle as you move through hallways like you want to get that angle to where you see ahead of you but you can also see the room that's off to the side and like so nothing will jump out at you i mean it's it's really if if you are the sort of person that can immerse yourself in things it is very immersive and very creepy so recommended and speaking of resident evil the new resident evil movie comes out this friday now uh nathan and i did not discuss this franchise and it's not I don't really count it as horror so much. It has horror elements, but it's more of an action franchise, which I'm fine with. Uh, It is action horror. It deviates entirely from the games, but I love the Resident Evil franchise. I'm not crazy about the second movie, but all of the rest of them I've watched several times. I own them all. I think Mila Jovovich is great. I'm a fan of Paul W.S. Anderson, even though I know most people are not. Or, well, not most people, because the, the guy makes blockbusters. There, there's no denying that. But people say that they're not. How about that? Online, it is very popular to poo-poo Paul W.S. Anderson. So I I dig the guy, as I'm sure I've mentioned on the show before. And I'm very excited about Resident Evil. And I think I'm probably going to go on my own Friday during the day to see it in 3D. Uh, the missus does not dig on 3D. She does dig on the Resident Evil movies. We've seen, uh, since we've been together, we've seen all of them in the theater together. And uh, I'm, I'm super stoked. And we will be doing an episode about Resident Evil for next week's show. Uh, not just the new movie. Uh, we'll, we'll, me and Beth will review it. But we're going to be talking about the franchise, the movies, the video games, everything. Uh, it'll be a good episode. You're going to dig it the most, as uh, Stone Cold would say, as uh, Jules uh, from Pulp Fiction would say, uh, I suppose. Finally, on the subject of horror, Nathan recommended a movie, the Ouija, uh, The Origin of Evil, I think is the subtitle of it. Uh, it's the sequel, sort of, or I guess prequel. I don't know. I never, I didn't watch the first Ouija movie when it came out because I heard it was shit. And I, I uh, did watch the first like five minutes or something, and I was like, oh, I see what this is, and turned it off. Uh, never got into it. But I had heard that this one, the I guess whether it's a sequel or a prequel, you can say follow up because it is the one that followed it up. I had heard that it was pretty darn good. And so I was curious about it, and it came up on the show 
while we were recording last night. And so when, once we got done, I went upstairs. Uh, we were hanging out, and we were looking for something to watch. And I said, oh, look, it's Ouija, Origin of Evil. Let's check it out. And you guys, it's pretty darn good. Uh, it opens, and it has a very 60s, 70s vibe to it. And the whole movie, it's very interesting because they added cigarette burns and, like, the occasional, like, flicker-type thing to the film, but it doesn't have the grindhouse effect to it, uh, like Planet Terror and Death Proof. And I'm not... I, I guess the way that they did it was effective because it made it feel a little bit older. I think there's some different things they could have done with the lighting and maybe with the film quality or at least a filter on the film to make it look older without, you know, actually going in and dirtying up the print digitally or whatever they would do now. Uh, but it's still, it, it worked for me. I dug it. The pacing was slow, but it was slow to establish a character. And I think it was very smart to do it that way. And once business does pick up, it really picks up. Like it's very rewarding in that, uh, once things go bad they go crazy wacky bad and the ending is just the type of ending i like to see from time to time so i i recommend it if you're a horror fan you know don't don't feel like you now there may be things that call back to the the first ouija movie but i didn't i don't know there were a couple of moments that felt a little bit like they might be referencing something else but I don't know. I didn't see it, so I couldn't tell you what the connection is. But I can tell you we both thoroughly enjoyed the movie without having seen the other one. So don't feel like you need to go watch the other one. Uh, because it, it, by all reports, it is a rancid turd. And of course, if you'd like to purchase Ouija, Origin of Evil, Resident Evil 7, or any other items that are available on Amazon.com, Please go to needlessthingssite.com, click on that big old Amazon box up in the top right corner and do all of your shopping through there, or at least, you know, at least once. If you shop on Amazon like I do, you're on there at least a few times a month buying stuff. Uh, and, and you know, you want to split it up between the different podcasts or whatever you listen to, but on at least one of your monthly Amazon shopping trips, click on that needlessthingssite.com link, go in, buy all your stuff. And we get a little bit of a kickback from everything that you spend, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So there you go. There's a little bit of horror news. There's a little bit of what's going on. Uh, Days of the Dead coming up next weekend, February 3rd, 4th, and 5th, uh, including Super Bowl Sunday, which I, I have to say, you guys, you know I don't sports ball. I don't give a crap about any of Atlanta's teams, but... Congratulations to the Atlanta Falcons for making it to the Super Bowl. I, you know, I, I do, I, I am nerdy guy that doesn't like sports, but I acknowledge that that's a huge deal. And that for the people that are fans of sports or are fans, of the, uh, particularly that are fans of the Atlanta Falcons, that's awesome for you guys. And I'm stoked that you've got something to be that excited about. Uh, so good for you. I hope the Super Bowl kicks ass. You know, whether or not the Falcons win, I hope you get to sit down and enjoy a kick ass game. Uh, and you know, I can't even speak to whether or not it will be because I don't know anything about the Falcons and I don't know anything about, oh shit, the other team. 
Patriot, the New England Patriots, which haven't they been in the Super Bowl like the last five or six years or something like that? Are they the ball? Are they the deflated ball guys? I don't know. Who gives a shit? You guys, you're not here to talk about football. At least I hope you're not, because if you are, you're going to be really disappointed. You're here to hear about Days of the Dead and a son of celluloid's diabolical plans for said convention. But first, here's a little something from the Mystery Men. you guys i've got a special treat for you on this week's show i wanted to do something special because we've got a local boy doing something at one of my personal favorite cons uh that that i've had a history with and this is for the first time ever they are putting a focus on the local scene and there's nobody better to be in charge of this than our pal returning to the show uh nathan hamilton son of celluloid how are you doing tonight I'm doing great, man. Thank you so much for that great intro. And yeah, I'm proud to be the one being able to do this at Days of the Dead. Well, and it's funny when you, when you told me that you were doing it, like there wasn't even, there wasn't even a moment of like, oh, that's really cool. It was just like, well, that makes sense. Like, why, <laughs> why didn't this happen sooner? Right. Uh, because Days of the Dead, you know, I've, I've been going, I didn't make last year because of day job, which is the same reason I'm not making this year. But I was there. Damn you, day job. I get seriously, dude. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's damn you, day job for providing me with money to do shit. (laughs) You know, it's like, there's no way around it. But I was there in Peachtree City, which that first year is one of my favorite times at a convention ever. Yeah, that was really cool because it was such, it was a first year show. It was small. It was really laid back and everyone was still kind of like getting their feet under them because that was the first Horicon Atlanta ever had. Well, and it was so isolated. Yeah, I think that really lent itself to the atmosphere because we had to walk down. We we still to this day refer to it as the rape trail. We had to walk <laughs> down this like unlit path to get to anywhere to like go eat or anything. Like it, it was just out in the in this dark forest. It was just a great setting, but I understand moving it to Atlanta was a necessity. Yeah, because you know we almost were too big for Peachtree City when we were there. And, you know, Days was still growing. Atlanta had just started as a market for this Horicon. And it's cool because the convention and Atlanta as a Horicon city have kind of grown together. Yeah. Yeah, so. and, well, and Days of the Dead has – it's interesting because the horror scene in Atlanta, and we can talk about this a little bit, uh, has dried up to a certain extent over the past couple of years. And Days of the Dead has become kind of the focal point of the Atlanta horror scene, even though it's not, I mean, they, they, uh, certainly we love them here, but they're not a local con. Right. They, uh, we were their second city. They now have five. Wait, yeah, one, two, three, wait, five. Yeah. And you're right. The scene has sort of dried up. There's still a lot of cool stuff going on. But I remember when I came back to Atlanta in 2010 and got back into the horror scene, it was booming. And, you know, you had Silver Screen Spook Show, you had Slaughter, uh, Splatter Cinema, you had all kinds. Every weekend there was a different kind of horror event. Yeah, yeah. And then after a few years, it just kind of started to trickle off. A lot of that had to do with, like, the plaza 
becoming not a friendly place for those kind of events. And also the Starlight kind of doing the same thing. And a lot of people got real busy doing other things. But it's starting to come back. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's really important and really cool that we're actually getting to shine a spotlight on Atlanta at Days of the Dead. Well, and I'm glad, uh, like I said, I'm glad you're the guy because in, in the time that I've been doing the stuff that I do, you have always been a focal point of stuff going on, uh, from Days of the Dead to the Monstrosity Championship Wrestling to, you know, everything that's been going on, you've always been there. You are the guy, uh, that I think a lot of us know digs deep and, and goes, really into the depths of horror and has sort of the the knowledge that spans everything from the obscure weird shit to what's going on in mainstream if if there is such a thing as mainstream horror culture <laughs> like you run the gamut you don't you know right. you you have a clear opinion on things but I wouldn't say you really ever turn your nose up at anything I think that's very important I'm the geekiest of the horror geeks yes yeah, yeah 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 exactly well yeah you don't turn yourself up at you know, turn your nose up at anything except some mainstream horror that comes out of Hollywood because, you know, a lot of those are being done for just for the money. But yeah, yeah. when I look at any horror movie, I take a couple things into account. Number one is the heart. It's all the heart of it. It's the same thing I always say about haunted houses. You have ones with huge budgets that are doing it that you can tell it's because it's a business. You have ones that are tiny that have a budget of 20 bucks and all the heart in the world and all the passion. And movies are the same way. And it's flip-flops. you got the people who are doing it for the wrong reasons at the $20 level and people who are doing it for the right reasons at the multi-million dollar level. Right. So you look at everything all the way in between. And I believe there's no such thing as a movie with zero redeeming value. And there's no such thing as a perfect movie. In any movie I absolutely hate, there's usually at least one thing I'm like, oh, the lighting was really good, or right. the, you know, the way they shot this scene was really cool, or there was this one, the rest of it sucked, but this one performance was awesome, you know, something like that. So I think I hate the people who like write a blog and just bitch about everything. It's like, do you like horror? Because all you do is complain and tear everything down. You know, let's celebrate it instead of trying to you know rip it apart. Well, and that's what so much of of genre. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that I'd call it criticism, genre fandom, people that focus their attention on it. It almost feels like a lot of them are, are just, they just have fun hating on everything. And I know people enjoy reading about people hating on things, which is unfortunate. Right. But, uh, but you know. You know I, share your passion. I'd much rather read about what someone digs than what they hate. Yes. Because, you know, the, that kind of negativity doesn't help anybody because horror is one of those scenes. I always equate it to, like, indie wrestling. I always equate it to, like, a local metal or punk rock scene or something like that. It's a small audience to begin with. And you have to cultivate that audience. And you got to stick together and invite your friends and be like, hey, this is cool. Check this out. And if you start tearing things down or having beefs with people in the same whatever, it just divides an already small audience and it hurts everybody. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that, as I get older and mellower, I, I look at that sort of thing and I realize that because I, you know, I wasn't always as, uh, I don't know that open arms is the term, but I, I tend to be kinder right. now than I used to be. And I realize like when you shit on something, there's a possibility that there are people out there who really love that thing that you just shit on mm -hmm. and you've alienated them. Now, 
in the context of that, you know, maybe it doesn't matter, maybe it does, but what you just said is very true. When you're talking about a small collection of people and you're driving part of that collection away, you're not doing a favor to the thing that you all love. No, not at all. And like I say, even if I'm going to rip on something, I'm going to have, you know, just because I'm trying to push the positivity doesn't mean I'm not going to stick by my laurels. Like, there are movies everybody loves that I think are shit. But, I'm, you know, I'm not afraid to swim against, you know, swim against the stream and tell people, no, that movie sucks, and here's why. Well, but, and that's the thing, is you never give the just-cause reason. You you always have, a, a, you know, well, this is why. Here are my reasons, and this is how I feel about it. It's never, well, it just does. Yeah, there's some, th- let's take Rob Zombie, for example. Okay, <laughs> there, are, there are people who love his work, and there are people who hate his work. And... You'll see arguments about it where nobody says a word about the movie. Right. They always talk about him as a person. Right. And, you know, they'll be like, no, this movie sucks because, because Rob. And that doesn't make any sense. If, you know, if you're going to talk about the movie, talk about the movie. Don't talk about the person who made it. You know, always take things on their own merits. Yeah. And that's, I, I, I definitely count myself in the camp that loves Rob Zombie but he's very aware of his limitations. Oh yeah, I just I wish he would stick to movies and stop making music. I <laughs> wish he would, I wish he would see I I uh well, I haven't heard his last album. Um I wouldn't recommend it. Uh well, and he just about lost me with the Venomous Rat Regeneration School for Girls or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> but uh I I tell you what, I wish he would get someone else to write his dialogue for his movies. Yeah, he should get someone else to write the dialogue and then he should go through and put all his references in. Yes. Yes, you know, get the basics down, then you can add in the, all the references. Because he, he just speaks in references, and the dialogue isn't his strong point at all. So right, start no. with, you know, he's putting the cart before the horse there. I totally get that. Like, 31, for example. That was a decent flick. But it was fun, and it had some really good acting in it and some really cool ideas. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are parts like Sherry Moon doesn't have the acting chops to pull off that role. At all. You know, it's you know, there's good and bad for everything, and the, he's definitely one of those that kind of walks that fine line. There, you know, there's some stuff I love about his work, or some stuff I dislike about his work. But you take it movie by movie. Well, and that's and that's the thing is like over for me overall, a Rob Zombie movie is a fun experience. And Thirty One, actually, I wouldn't mind getting a little tiny bit more into Thirty One because I'm still trying to suss that one out. I enjoyed it, but at the end, I felt like. I hadn't seen the whole thing or like it wasn't a full, and I'm not talking about the ending itself because I was totally fine with the ending itself. I thought right. that was pretty cool, but I just didn't feel like I'd seen a complete enough story. I didn't feel like there was enough there. You know what I want to see? I want to see a Doomhead prequel with the Nazi midget as his sidekick. Absolutely. That would be amazing. And I want to see this is, see, this is something I would love to see. I would love to see Zombie. Now I would want him to do it and not the studio to do it. I would love to see Zombie license out his uh his his ideas or his existing characters or whatever to up and coming directors. Okay. I, I I think it would be very interesting to see uh, now, now, they would have to have a good story. I'm not saying do it just because we recognize the names. As you were saying, don't do it just to make the money. Do it because you have a recognizable franchise that you can give somebody young an opportunity to, to sort of, 
you know, get into something and give them a chance to be seen by the public and then move on to other things. Right. Uh, but, you know, if somebody comes along and has a story, you know, maybe for, for Baby and Captain Spaulding and, and Otis, you know, prior to the things that we've seen, give them a shot. Zombie doesn't have to do it. Let somebody else do it. Um, I think there, there are opportunities definitely for El Superbisto. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I would definitely. love to see more of that world. And and I think, uh, you know, guys probably just got too much on, on his plate to oversee something like that. But I, I, he's created some characters that I really love and would like to see more of in some way. And that's that would be a great world to do because, say, like the world of Devil's Rejects and House of Thousand Corpses, you almost can't revisit because it's been so long since the last one and no one looks the same and... You know, you, you can totally get past the fact that everyone died. That's, you know, it's hard. Come well, on. my my original but idea, get, because I loved Devil's Rejects, is one of my favorite movies, warts and all. Uh, but my idea for a follow-up was always them in hell. Like, okay. literally, the three of them in hell. Because why not? It's Rob Zombie. See, my my thing I always wanted to see was them make a movie following the Unholy 2, Diamond Dallas Page and Danny Trejo's Oh, that'd characters. be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, they are just ripe to go. And both of those guys, you know, you could set it the day after Devil's Rejects. Both of those guys look almost exactly like they did then. They do. You know? they, both of them, like, stopped age. They both got really old looking, really young, but <laughs> then stopped aging. Yeah, Danny Trejo's looked 50 since he was 20. Yes, exactly. Yeah. He, 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 he was yeah. born 20 and then just went from there. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, and that would be a fantastic opportunity, you know, for Zombie to find, like, some young guy that's done some cool stuff online or, you know, wherever it is people are coming from now, which is another thing I'd like to talk to you about. Uh, but, you know, find the guy that's that's got the great idea for these two and that can give us a feature that lives up to what the Unholy Two are capable of. Yeah, and El, El Superbisto would be perfect, too, because, you know, Rob, you can tell his ideas are always a little bit bigger than his budget. Yes, and he just, you know, you can tell he wants to do stuff, but just doesn't have the money to do it. It's animated. You can do whatever the hell you want. Exactly. You know, you know, budget is no concern whatsoever. So I think that would be a great world for them to revisit and expand upon. Well, and they're even, you know, at this point, shit, a Netflix show, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there, there are so many things out there that I feel like the zombie brand, which, I, gosh, I hate myself for fucking saying that, but that's what it is, uh, you know, would would be a very cool part of. So enough Rob Zombie for right now. All right. <laughs> I want to hear about, because I am not, I used to be much more enmeshed in horror than I am now. I still love it, and I still you know, keep track of, of what's going on in theaters and stuff, but we don't have video stores anymore. I hate watching shit on my computer, so I, I'm just, I don't dig as deep as I used to. Right. Where are cats coming from now? Where are directors, you know, where are we seeing a new crop of exciting directors coming from? What are they doing? Uh, you re it's at the point now where you really got to dig. Like last year, there was a lot of movies released theatrically. There were two good ones, which was um, Ouija 2, which shocked me. I have heard that, so you agree that was good. I it was the first one is dog shit, but right. the second one is really good. Oh my gosh! Okay, you you are the final verdict on that because I'd kind of heard rumblings like, "No, Ouija Two is pretty good," and I remember seeing the trailer and thinking, "This looks much more interesting than that." I know what you did last Ouija that came out before. Right. It reminds me a lot of. It looks like 
not really looks like, but it feels like something I would have randomly pulled off a video store shelf in the early 90s. Nice. That's a high recommendation right there. Yeah, it's not not going to, you know, change your world, but I, it's going to be 90 minutes that you're glad you spent with that movie. Oh, that's great to hear. And so the wh- other who, one, who did that? Where or, or I don't know, necessarily director, but like where did they come from with that? How did that happen? Shit, I don't even know. <laughs> that was, it was, it's a director I'm not familiar with. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but it's definitely not the guy that did the first one, and it's it's rare that a movie that bad spawns a sequel that good. Right, right, right. So I'm really not sure where that came from. The other one that was really good was Don't Breathe. Yes, dude. Have I mean, you seen we, that one? We just watched it the other night. and uh, Oh, my God. It was, you know, That's- so often if you're not... If you're not there the day something comes out, which is what I like to be there opening night, if it's something I'm excited about, mm-hmm. because my issue is the hype machine can kill stuff. It can take movies that you might have, you know, thought, well, that, that was pretty good, and make them seem shitty because they've been so overhyped. Don't Breathe right. was one that was hyped to the moon and totally lived up to it. Oh, it paid off every uh Fetty Alvarez the he the only other movie I've seen he's done was the uh, Evil Dead remake which I loved I was I'm on the we're in the minority because a lot of people hate on that I know and And I don't know why it was really well because it's a remake that's exactly why it's because it's a remake and it's because it has that sacred name attached to it and people just can't get past that and realize it's a good horror movie it's Halloween 3 syndrome yeah if you had released Halloween 3, Halloween 3 was hated forever and has just recently, you know, become a beloved cult classic. If when they released it, they just called it Season of the Witch, it would have been one of those, you know, great 80s movies that everyone's loved the whole time, but they right. called it Halloween 3 and everyone shit on it. That's kind of the way Evil Dead was. If they had slapped any other name on that, people would have raved about it. But since it was a remake of such a beloved movie, everyone was like, eh, I don't know. Well, and the but, problem is, is even if they had slapped another name on it, once people started recognizing the elements, they would have been like, oh, this is a bullshit remake. They snuck it in. Like, I, even right. then, I think, because people are so damn picky and whiny. Yeah, but the Don't Breathe definitely, definitely proved that Alvarez has chops as a director. Yes. It made me really excited for what he's going to do next. How about, and I'm not going to go into spoiler territory, Don't Breathe, in addition to being able to, like, the suspense is great. He, oh, that yeah. man knows how to build suspense, but that left turn it took. Dude. About halfway through that, I did not expect into just like absolute batshit crazy territory. Yeah, well, and it, that was that was one of my favorite moments. And if I we didn't watch it until earlier this month, uh, it would have definitely been one of my favorite moments from last year because that it, it talk about the the squick factor. And the thing is, like for some reason. It was so much more horrible than what you would have assumed was going to happen, mm-hmm. because Absolutely. it was so much more. It was so much stranger, and and so much like outside the realm of what we've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, great, great flick. Anybody listening uh, that's that's not too terribly squeamish, don't breathe. Super solid. But you ask about where the good, good directors are coming from, and it's almost like the gulf is widening. You've got your you know your big budget. Movies like, you know, Don't Breathe, you know, you can call that an independent flick if you want to, but it still had studio backing and had like, I think it was a $5 million budget. And then you've got, it's almost like there's no horror middle class anymore. (laughs) Then you've got the underground people, you know, like your bandit pictures and your Jimmy Bickerts and your people like that who are making really good stuff, but it's so far 
removed from that, and it will never get a theatrical screening that you really have to search it out. Right, right. Well, and the problem there is there's so much chaff to dig through to oh, get God. to the good stuff. Because that, see, at the, the tail end of the video store days, what was killing me was all of these, everybody had a video camera. Mm-hmm. And there were just absolute garbage shot and edited on a video camera. And we're talking about a, you know, early 2000s video camera, not what's available now. You can make a movie right. on your fucking cell phone now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that were making it into the video stores. And I felt like we were just renting garbage after garbage. And it was, it was too hard to find anything good. Like I always say, the best thing that ever happened to horror movie filmmaking is the technology being available to everyone yes and the worst thing that ever happened to <laughs> horror filmmaking is the technology to make a movie being available to everyone also correct yeah it's you know it's a double-edged sword because it puts it in the hands of the people who b- could make a great movie but never had the means but it also puts it in the hands of people who should never have the means to make a movie yeah but but at least at least it has leveled the playing field to a certain extent because there are also those that you know would get the budgets and would get the backing that did not have the talent to make a movie. So right. so at least now you know you've got guys with talent that can get a chance regardless of if a studio's heard of them or not. And I almost like it better that way because it feels like a more honest thing to me. Like you know, a few, even a few years ago, you would have people making a mid-range movie, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars, who would then sell them to. A distributor who would completely just rape them on it, and they got like that one time few thousand dollar payday for selling them the movie, and then nothing. I like it better when I can go to a convention, hand my twenty bucks over to the guy who actually made the movie. Right, he can hand me the DVD, and it's a personal exchange with the actual artist. Well, speaking of independent directors and speaking of conventions, what a perfect segue you have created. You truly are a master, sir. Let's talk about uh, the blue track at Days of the Dead Atlanta, which is coming up next weekend, and uh, the first weekend of February. And I see one of the tracks is Indie Horror Panel, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about everything here. But first of all, how did you end up putting the blue track together? How did this happen? All right, this uh, the whole. T- I realized very early when it comes to conventions, Atlanta is straight up spoiled. By Dragon Con. For sure. Yeah, because people were walking around Days of the Dead, and I would hear someone say, well, there's nothing to do. I'm like, what the hell do you mean there's nothing to do? Look at all this stuff. And then last year, my girlfriend volunteers at Dragon Con, so I ended up going and hosting some of their panels. And I looked, I'm like, holy shit, there's like 20 panels going on at a time. And then I was hosting the panels and realized, we don't have a single celebrity on these panels. Mm-hmm. But this room's packed. Yeah. And so I went to Adolfo and said, you know, we can add a lot of bang for people's buck if we add another track of programming. And you don't have to, you know, do the kind of things you would have to do to get a celebrity to do it. Put it in my hands and let me do this because I know enough people around here doing amazing horror stuff that I can pull from all my friends and the, my, you know, fellow horror lovers in the scene and create a cool track for you. And he gave me a room and said, go for it, dude. This is yours. So, Basically, I just went to him and and decided I was going to do a locals panel, and they were cool enough to do it. And that's what I love about days because a lot of other horror conventions, it's the kind of thing where go in, plunk down your fifty bucks, get your picture and your autograph, and leave. 
here they've been on the forefront of independent film for a long time. They've been pushing indie movies forever. And I feel like they've given me the opportunity with the blue track to really take it to another level to where, you know, in Atlanta, I can put a focus on Atlanta. And that, I think that's a good thing because a lot of people in this city aren't even aware of some of the stuff that's going on in this city. Well, and it's also exciting to go to something and see that because, you know, with Days of the Dead being sort of a traveling con, uh, and they come in and it's like, well, here are these guys. They're, they're showing us their stuff. They're bringing us their guests, but it's exciting to go into something like that and see, oh, these are our guys. Let's show them what we got. This is our stuff. Like we're part of this now. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, you know, you go to the big music festival and you've got the headlining stage with the big bands. But if you pay attention to that local stage, you might catch your new favorite band. Yes. And I've discovered a lot of great bands that way. And that's kind of what I feel like I'm doing with uh, the blue track here at Days is really giving people a chance to say, oh, check out what they're doing in Atlanta. This is really cool. Well, and they have always, you know, there's always been the opportunity for locals because they've always had, you know, the first time I saw Dear God No was at Days of the Dead. Right. In a theater full of people, which was, let me just tell you, fucking amazing, watching <laughs> that movie that way. Um, and they're, they're screening Frankenstein Creative Bikers this year, and it's going to be no oh, less I rowdy know. and insane. It's killing me, man. Uh, but just, you know, they, they've always been aware of the local scene but i love that this year they're they're really putting a focus on it what what kind of stuff have you got planned man i i tried to make it as varied as possible i you know horror movies are you know of course the big deal but i tried to really mix it up and kind of have you know different takes on different things and not just movies so uh you want to just run down the schedule here yeah man let's do it all right, uh, Friday at 6 p.m., we've got, like you said, the Independent Horror Panel, and that's been a mainstay at Days. I've been hosting that for four years now, and it's basically a chance for all of the independent filmmakers who are there. Maybe their movies are being shown. Maybe they've just got a table in the dealer's room, you know, showing their, you know, showing their stuff on a little monitor on the table. Who knows? Yeah. But they're there to talk to the audience, and people can get a feel for what they're making. They can push their movies. You know, a lot of a lot of people come to that and are like, thank you for interviewing so-and-so because I went and bought his movie and it was great. So the people I have on there so far, I've got Richard Tanner, who is from uh, Buck Short Productions. I actually just did a movie with him. He's local here. Uh, Chase Smith, he's local here. Also got uh, Tommy Faircloth and Bobby Easley on that one. And who knows, people may add on to that. I remember last year I was supposed to have four people on that panel and ended up with 12. <laughs> so... You know, yeah, well, I had 11 people in Jessica Cameron, but I, I don't, you know, there's no telling how big that one's going to get, but that is always a really entertaining panel and a chance to hear about some really cool movies that you otherwise might not get to hear about. Then at 7 p.m. on Friday, we've got Uncle Jimbo's Drive-In. Basically, I went to James Bickert, and for those of you who don't know who James Bickert is, he is the director of Dear God No and Frankenstein Creative Bikers, but he is also a drive-in and exploitation historian. Like I always say, the amount I know about horror above the average, you know, average casual moviegoer, that's how much more he knows than I do. Yeah, he actually came on episode 49 of the show, and that conversation blew my fucking mind. Yeah, and I just said, you know what, Jimmy? Here's a panel. Get up there and school us. (laughs) I have no idea what he's doing. I'm excited about this one. I don't. I'm completely in the dark here. I just said, get up there and drop knowledge about exploitation cinema. 
Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm just like everybody else, you know, bated breath wondering what that's gonna turn out like. Right, so right. I, if whatever it happens, you are definitely gonna come out of that panel knowing a lot more about exploitation and grindhouse and drive-in movies than you did before. It will change your life. Absolutely. And then at 8 p.m., we've got Graveyard Gospel unplugged. Now they're a local band. They're kind of hard to describe. I, I call them Southern Gothic is the best kind of way to describe it, but I say Gothic and people think goth. Right, they're right. not a goth band. They're like a like a dark rock folk type thing. Mm-hmm. They're, like their concerts aren't so much concerts; they are tent revivals. <laughs> it's a really interesting style of music, and really, it's got that great ghoulish sense to it. And um, Cliff from uh, the Cast Creatures plays with them. Okay, cool, cool. It, it was it was his band before he ever joined the Cast Creatures. And then they've, you know, put it down for a while and they've recently reemerged. So I'm really happy to be able to get, you know, give them a platform to get out to some people they, that might not be able to see them. And it, I'm really excited about Graveyard Gospel. Well, and that's such a great, like, I love seeing kind of offbeat, interesting music at conventions because I feel like it's very important to have a music scene at a convention. You need something to do at night, but it's also a, a case where People are there, they're ready to party, and it's a good place to experience new things because it's not like mm-hmm. a regular show where like you show up for the band you want to see or maybe you just walk outside and do whatever. Like You kind of want to get your money's worth and be part of as many of the events as you can. So for a band that does have a little something different to offer, I think it's a really great opportunity. And what I like about being able to do the, you know, the unplugged show in the panel room there, because mine's going to be a smaller panel room, of course, mm. is I'm old enough to remember when unplugged was a show on MTV. I know you are too. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And the cool thing I always thought about that show wasn't even so much that the bands were switching up their sound playing, you know, acoustically. It was the intimate atmosphere. Yes. It was the small room where you were right up there with the band and it felt like, you know, a really cool shared energy. And that's kind of what I'm really looking forward to being able to do with that particular performance. And when it was a band that you liked and you were sitting there watching it on TV, you were jealous as fuck of all of those people in that damn room. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So if you, guys, if you're, I don't care if you're a metal fan, a rock fan, a horror punk fan, whatever, come check out Graveyard Gospel. They're, you, you have not heard anything like them before. And this is all going on in the Atlanta room, is that right? Uh, yeah, it's going to be directly across the hall from the main track room okay. between the between the photo op room and the screening room. Cool, cool. So it's easy to find. We'll have schedules there that you can pick up, so you know when all this stuff's happening. You don't have to be sitting there with your you know pen and paper writing down exactly what's happening. But yeah, uh, Saturday at noon, we have this one. I think is going to be really cool. Horror on forty five. Uh, Evil Jim from the Spectre Men and Bigfoot, and Dusty Booze, Dusty Booze and the Baby Haters, are going to get together and play you some horror novelty records. Old, obscure stuff you haven't heard. Like, if you dig the Monster Mash, you might not realize there were hundreds of other releases in that similar vein, you know, back in the day. And they're bringing their vinyl collection, and they're going to tell about, talk about the history of it and play you some tunes you might not have heard. That one's going to be really cool. That's, wow. And that's a thing that wouldn't even have occurred to me to put out there and it's yet another thing where you're at the convention and you get exposed to some great new thing that you normally wouldn't because i yeah sure the monster mash how did that happen well it happened because there's tons of other shit like that going on Mm -hmm. 
Exactly. Uh, man, there, every panel on here, I'll be honest with you, it would be difficult for me to go to the other things that are scheduled at Days of the Dead with the stuff that you've got going on. Because horror on 45. And also, here's one I love. It doesn't start till noon. You yeah. don't have anything starting up at like 8 in the morning. No. Which is ridiculous. I'm going to be too hungover. You're going to be too hungover. <laughs> 8 a.m. doesn't exist. <laughs> All right, next one, another music panel. Fantastic idea. Yeah, this one is horror and metal, a match made in hell. You know, what goes better? You know, it's peanut butter and jelly, man. Yeah, yeah. Two great tastes that taste great together. And I got Evil Jim's going to be back for that one. I got Ryan Cadaver from the Casket Creatures. I got Sid Howell from uh, Legion X and Scott Majeski, who is, you know, Days of the Dead mainstay. He hosts the tattoo convention. But he also plays in a band called Iron Diamond. You familiar with them? I've heard the name. I'm not going to go so far as to say I'm familiar with them. They play every year at the uh, Days of the Dead Indie. They are they cover classic metal, you know, Iron Maiden, King Diamond, oh, wow. Judas Priest, all that kind of stuff. And uh, God, I forget who one of the members of Skeleton Witch is their lead singer. Damn, they, I was going to say they've got to have a strong vocalist for that. Yeah, and he's not the singer from Skeleton Witch. He's one of the you know musicians, but he's their singer. And then Majeski, he is like the co-singer. They kind of trade off. Okay. And and this man knows a lot about metal. Everyone on that panel is you know deep into it. Yeah, yeah. And they're all you know there's some killers. These guys are all in great bands, and they're all horror lovers. So who better to discuss the you know symbiotic relationship between metal and horror? Beautiful. And we I have. Uh, Made it, made an arrangement to have some CDs and maybe a couple seven inches from these bands, and we're going to play a little game of I name the band, you name the movie with the audience. Oh. So you can win some uh, win some cool music at that panel. Always the best to have some audience interaction. Absolutely. And then the next one's one I'm really excited about. This is another one where I am hands off on this panel. I said you have 45 minutes, go. And I had a creative meeting with these guys over the weekend I was really excited the freak show in horror is a panel being done by captain and maybell oh, 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 oh man yeah if for anyone who's not familiar they are were dubbed the most disgusting people on earth on america's got talent they are world record holding sideshow performers historians they know their stuff one they are of, one of those records is for swallowing the Largest number of swords underwater. Which, who, who knew that even was even thinks a, of that? Right. How is that even a record? Yeah, I'll but, tell you who thinks of that. Captain Amado. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like that. So <laughs> if that came from those sick minds, just imagine how much an explore, exploration, because, you know, the freak show has been around in horror movies forever. You know, you go back to, like, The Unknown and Dr. Caligari and all those kind of things, all the way up to American Horror Story, the freak show has been has had a presence the entire way and they're going to discuss you know kind of the history of it and what the you know what the connection is there and why the freak show is such a great place for horror and that kind of thing so i'm really excited about that one too yeah that's what one of my uh uh i guess one of my horror like you know how you have little bits of horror that uh, certain kinds are just fun certain kinds you're fascinated by and other kinds actually do kind of drive a nail into your psyche just a little bit mm -hmm. well body horror is one that kind of gets to me a little bit depending on how well it's done and what the story is All right. and so the freak show in horror is is one of my like yeah you know the 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 tingle up the spine type of deal 
Excellent. That's exactly what I'm looking for. I want people who are <laughs> who are interested in that, and they you know they may or may not do an act there. You know, they're actually going to be performing that night, so you can come hear them talk, get a feel for who they are, and I guarantee you, if you sit in that panel, you're like, okay, we got to go see them tonight. Nice. We got to go see what kind of craziness they have in store. And I've seen their show dozens of times, and they never disappoint. In uh, 3 p.m., coming up after that, we got Gore on a Budget, which that one I originally kind of envisioned as tips for people who are making movies and things like that, but with the guys I've got, this is going to be an entertaining for even if you're not, just to go get, you know, watch how these guys manage to create the illusions on screen they do on the lowest budget possible, because these guys often work with very low budgets. And on that one, we've got Marcus Cook, who is, in my mind, the best effects guy for gore working today really he did, he did uh Ameri- he's done the american guinea pig movies oh okay he's okay. done that like that alone because say because american guinea pig bouquet of guts and gore in my mind is the absolute pinnacle of practical gore yeah i've you never can, seen it done better you you can look at that stuff pretty closely and it's there, there are no seams yeah marcus did that there's a million movies that I couldn't even begin to go into his filmography that he has either been the main effects guy on or had a hand in. Like, most of the really, really good gore fests that have come out in the last, you know, five, six, seven, eight years had Marcus in there somewhere. We've also got Roy Woolley on there. Everybody's favorite guy from Face Off. Yeah, I mean, that, that dude's done unholy, terrible things to my face for years. <laughs> And, you know, I, I don't claim to be an effects artist by any stretch, but every trick I do know, I learned in his chair. Nice. That guy's one of the most knowledgeable people about effects I know. And then, of course, Shane Morton. Who's also been on the show and is uh, one of the most entertaining speakers I have ever seen. Absolutely. He's he's a showman. Yes. He, in addition yes. to being so talented at effects, you know, he's the art and effects director for Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. He did Bickert's uh, biker movies. He's done a lot of stuff. He, you know, at either as Shane Morton or as Professor Morte is always entertaining. So you get those three guys together, and I'm probably going to have to tarp off that room like a Guar concert. <laughs> yeah, and you're probably also going to have to have a uh, some way of effectively ending the panel, like the giant hook to pull them off stage. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I do have to end that one at uh, some point, because at 4 p.m., we've got the Frankenstein Creative Bikers panel. And... You know, that's one of the most hotly anticipated flicks of the year Yeah, amongst independent horror fans. And this is your chance. J- uh, Jimmy Bickert's going to be on that one. Uh, Jet Bryant and Madeline Brumby, two of the stars, are going to be there. We're going to have part of the crew there. I'm like, I have a feeling a good portion of the audience is going to be made up of people who are in the movie <laughs> since it was shot around here. So it's going to like going to be a huge panel. You know, we're going to have a lot of people up on stage. We have a lot of people in the crowd, and you're probably going to learn everything you could possibly want to know about that movie without spoilers. I feel like so, it's going to be less of a panel and more of an informational party. Yeah, that's a really good way to describe <laughs> it. The, uh, I'm guessing there will not be a lot of sobriety in that room, <laughs> which I will definitely be included in that. But yeah, 4 p.m., and uh, we're capping it there. 4 p.m. is the end of Saturday because there's some really big cool screenings coming up saturday night and we're taking down the partition of the the uh, panel room and putting up the chair so we can accommodate more people in the screening room cool because we've had you know every now and then you'll get one of those movies like the you know frankenstein creative biker screening they're doing a screening of halloween you know some really cool stuff and 
the room might not be big enough, but we're making it huge so everybody can get a chance to get in on that kind of stuff. Then on Sunday, which is Super Bowl Sunday, but we're ending it early so you can all have time to get to your Super Bowl parties. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Hey, well, especially fun. now, I have to admit, now, and, and I still personally don't give a shit, but Atlanta's team got in, so good for those guys. Whoop it up. Here's to the Dirty Birds. Yes. Ah, sip a beer for the working man. <laughs> but uh, at uh, noon, I'm going for Haunt Acting 101. Now, I'm actually going to be a panelist on this one in addition to the host because I've been working in Haunt since I was 12. And I'm going to have uh, Bryce Alexander and Island Chase, who are two fellow Nether Spawn from Netherworld, but they also do the decorations for Days of the Dead. They're behind, you know, making it look as cool as it does. Oh, nice. And, yeah, and we're going to have other guests. I haven't quite nailed down who else is going to be there, but we're looking at people from Nightmare's Gate, people from Six Flags. We're going to try and mix it up with a bunch of different haunts. And that's where we're basically going to discuss the art of haunt acting. Because it's a, it's a very different art from acting for the screen or for the stage. It's more interactive. And Atlanta's haunt scene is so big that I invite everyone who is in the industry and as an actor Come on out, and we'll just you know discuss ideas, and we can learn something from you. You can learn something from us. It's going to be kind of a free flowing discussion of everything haunt acting. That's very cool, man. And then at one p.m., we've got so you want to be a podcaster. <laughs> We're uh, we got me and Brad from Picking Brains. We got uh, Sean and Ryan from the Radical Ranger, uh, Rad Rangers Radical Radcast, which I still can't say right the first time ever. Uh, no, nobody ever can. It's a stupid name. <laughs> yeah, I only say that because I know Sean will hear this. Right. We got uh, Brittany from Sean Castic. We got uh, Elizabeth Catherine Gray from Archivist Bet on Sexy Witches. We got a bunch of my podcaster buddies, and we're going to discuss. You know, a lot of people come up to me and say, "I'm sure they do." You, how do I podcast? How do I start? What do I yeah. do? You know, it's they, there's not a lot more to it than just fucking do it. <laughs> Tip number one: <laughs> Don't go spend two thousand dollars on equipment. Exactly. Like, <laughs> right now you're listening to me on a $20 Walmart headset. So. I, I am on a video gaming headset myself, plugged exactly. right into my PC. Exactly. And that's going to be discussed. We're going to share, you know, stories about interviews we've done, both good and bad. We're going to, you know, take any questions people want about how you go about podcasting. So Sunday is more kind of an industry day mm -hmm. where the people, you know, the haunt industry, come and talk to us. The podcast industry, come and talk to us. And anyone who wants to get into either of those things, come listen to what we got going on because, you know, there's no better person to talk to about it than people who have been in the trenches just like you and started from scratch. Well, and i just uh, going to blow a little smoke here. Man, you've really put together a nice mix of stuff that's pure entertainment, that's informational, and that's got a little bit of interactivity to it. Like, you, you really have. I mean, obviously, you've been going to cons a long time. This ain't your first rodeo. <laughs> Not by a long shot. But, uh, you, you've, uh, you've done a good job here, man. I'm, I'm really bummed out. I'm missing any of this stuff. Well, man, one of the, one of the main things when I first sat down, cause, you know, when he said, okay, you've got a track, it was kind of the, at first that, oh shit, what have I done? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, oh, I may have bitten off more than I can chew, but, <laughs> The first thing I did was just sit down and think, okay, if I were just going as a civilian to mm -hmm. the con, what would I want to see? You know, what would I think was interesting? Right. And I kind of, that's what I did. I programmed stuff I think is interesting. Like, I'm as excited as anybody to see these. Because some of this stuff, you know, especially like the ones that I'm not 100, I'm not writing the questions for. 
I'm really excited to check out because I this is stuff I would love to see. Well, and the cool thing about it is as you're watching the ones that you're not actually on the panel for, you get to sit there, one, and enjoy the panel, and two, think, I made this happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I would be lying if there wasn't a part of me that's like, yeah, I'm the, I'm the Atlanta Horror representative, blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's not about that. It's about what I love about this track is, you know, the Atlanta horror scene spawned the Son of Celluloid. You know, it, Nathan Hamilton has always been a horror fan, but Son of Celluloid as an entity, as, a, as the writer of the podcast or whatever, he's, you know, I talk about him like a different person, but he's, you know, a part of me, but he would not exist if it wasn't for the Atlanta horror scene. Right. And this is my chance to give back. This is my chance to, you know, turn the spotlight on the people that inspire me. See, and that's that's it right there. That my my greatest aspiration has always been to to be in some kind of position, no matter how big or small it is, to you know, help other people see other people. Like get people together, checking their shit out, looking at things other people do, like, hey, come be on this panel, and then people will know about your podcast or your movie or your comic book or whatever. Like, that's the coolest stuff in the world, man. Yeah, I've always said, like, the thing that drives me to do, like, the blog, the show, whatever, it's not page, you know, page hits. It's not views, whatever. It's not, you know, people come to, hey, so so whatever. The thing that means the most to me is when someone comes up to me and says, hey, I checked out such and such because you mentioned on your show. I'd never heard of it, and I probably never would have heard of it, but I loved it. I went and bought it, and I dug it, man. Yes. Thank you. Yes. That's exactly what I'm after. I'm after, you know, spreading the word about this great art. The, and well, and that's it. The finding, you know, uh, talking about the things that you love and, you know, getting other people to, to dig new stuff that they never, never uh, excuse me, maybe never heard of. Exactly. Three words that shouldn't be hard, but I had a hell of a time with them. Maybe it's because of the drinky drink. That yeah, could be. <laughs> All right, so Days of the Dead Atlanta happening February 3rd through 5th. That's Friday through Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday for those of you that care. Uh, daysofthedead.net is where you can go to get your tickets, to book your room, to do whatever it is. Although i got to say the rooms probably are getting kind of sparse at this point. Uh, they may or may, I know at one point they were sold out and then they released a few more rooms. I'm not sure if those are sold out or not, but if, if you want to get one, now is the time. Do not sit on that and wait. And if you want to, come early on Thursday because I'll be there and Thursday is my birthday. Oh, so, nice. My birthday party will be at Days of the Dead. It's my day I'm not working, so it's my day to get white girl wasted. <laughs> and so, yeah, come party with me and then we'll party all weekend in the name of horror. Excellent. Well, uh, it looks like we, we've kind of nailed it down, man. What, anything, any thoughts to go out on? Is there anything happening right now you're excited about? Any movies coming out this year that you've kind of got your eye on? What, what's, uh, what's up and coming after Days of the Dead? There's an after Days of the Dead? <laughs> yeah, I guess not at I've this been, point. I've been so focused on Days of the Dead for month, for, you know, a couple months now that it like, Beyond that doesn't exist to me yet. <laughs> so, man, there's, uh, God, what's going on? I'm excited about, there's a movie that just finished filming and is now entering post-production called Space Babes from Outer Space. Oh, nice. It's done by Bandit, which is the, uh, it's directed by, uh, Brian Williams, who did Time to Kill, and he was the cinematographer on both, uh, Harvest Lake and, oh God, Plankface. Okay, okay. Yeah, and that, 
that whole artistic collective in my mind is one of the best things going in horror right now because Harvest Lake and Plank Face were both amazing. And, you know, what they did before, Time to Kill was great on Brian's side and on Scott Shermer and his camp's side, they did, you know, Headless and Found. So you get those two together and everything they've made so far has been gold. So Space Base and Outer Space, I have a feeling, is going to be absolute gold. Um, there's, there's a few movies that are coming out locally that I'm really not supposed to talk to talk about yet because details haven't been hammered out, but there's some good stuff coming out of Georgia. So keep your eye on some of the filmmakers that you're going to see on the independent horror panel and just engage yourself. It's, indie horror is all about digging. It's just like, you know, you're not going to hear your, you know, the great music coming out right now on the radio. You're no, not going to, no, you're you definitely know, not. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have to, you got to go out to clubs and hear bands you may know you've never heard of. You got to take a chance on, you know, clicking that YouTube link and you might hear a band you really dig. It's the exact same for movies. You got to, you know, dig for the good stuff and check out what other people are raving about. And it's all about community. And, you know, once you have a good horror community, then people can be like, Hey, you check out this. And once you, you know, find people whose opinions you respect, then they can really point you towards the good stuff. And that's that's basically it, man. Just support independent horror every chance you get. There you go. No better words to go out on. Nathan Hamilton, where can we find you online? Where's your stuff? Now, the easiest way to get in touch with me is through the Son of Celluloid Facebook page. Make sure you click Get Notifications as well as Light because Facebook and their stupid fucking algorithms. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, hey, you can pay 50 bucks to get this seen by the people who liked your page, you know, whatever. But click get notifications. That's the best way. Message me on there. I'm usually pretty good about responding, but that's where I put up, you know, information about what's going on, information about, you know, the blue track, information about, you know, the YouTube show, which may or may not come back in a different form. I'm getting ready to kick the blog back off. The blog's been pretty quiet for a while, but, you know, Days of the Dead's kind of the kickoff to bring that back. So, yeah, the Sun of Cellular Facebook page is definitely the easiest way to get in touch with me. Or you can go check out the blog, which may, may have been active in a while. There's still a lot of good content there for you to read. That's at sunofcelluloid.com. And go on YouTube. Uh, the channel is my name, because they, Nathan Hamilton, because they wouldn't let me change it to Sun of Celluloid. But that's where you can find all the old stuff, all the interviews, all the all seven episodes of the uh, Sun of Celluloid show. There's, there's seven pairs of tits in episode seven, so there's some motivation for you. <laughs> but... Yeah, that's that's basically where you can find me. Son of Celluloid anything. If it doesn't involve Clyde Barker, it's probably me. So just Google Son of Celluloid and <laughs> Clyde Barker's not involved. That's my stuff. Well, and it's all the best in horror, independent and otherwise, and no politics. No, none whatsoever. I keep that out of my horror. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show, man, and uh, have fun at Days of the Dead, dude. You've done a great job putting this thing together. I'm excited to see how everything turns out for you and everybody else there. Uh, thank you very much, man. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. And everybody out there, I will see you at Days of the Dead Atlanta. So it is official, you guys. Uh, Days of the Dead Atlanta will be the first event of 2017 that I am thoroughly irritated my day job is preventing me from attending. Now, I, I, you know, I say that, but I should make it clear. I could, but it would take 36 hours of vacation for me to get the weekend off. And because that's three days off, I work 12 hour shifts. And that's a lot. That's a big chunk of my vacation. And there's just other stuff. There's family stuff. You know, there's all kinds of other stuff that I have to be conscious of. To, so to blow 36 hours at the front end of the year, 
is just something I can't do. Now, I will say, if I had known sooner that there was an opportunity for me to do stuff at Days of the Dead, I would have thought about it a little bit harder. As a matter of fact, I might have even taken just like one day off just to be able to squeeze something in. But, uh, you know, you, you do what you do and you move along. And I do have other exciting opportunities that may be coming up. Uh, you can hear about that uh, if you're a member of my Patreon at supportphantom.com. Then you can find out about that kind of stuff. And if you otherwise want to help out the site, uh, go to needlessthingssite.com. Go to that big old Amazon square up on the right side and click on it. And, and there's stuff in it that's probably going to appeal to you because it's it's programmed to check out your history or your Google or your Amazon or whatever. I don't know how these things work. I'm sure Rad Ranger could tell you. Uh, but you don't have to click on You have to click on it, but you don't have to buy that stuff. Just click, go in, shop around Amazon, buy whatever you want, and Needless Things gets a little kickback, a little, little something sweet from uh, from what you do, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So go check that out, and uh, remember, I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vix employee. And of course... It's at needlessthingssite.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.